bridge one more time. And in death, in life, Father, we're confident and covered by the power of your great love. Jesus, we thank you so much for the work that you did on the cross. Lord, that your love never fails. Lord, and when we're in our darkest times, when we disobey you time and time again, your love never fails. It pursues us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in the room. We invite you in this place, God. We're here for you. Praise Blair comes up. You give him the, the words to speak. What you've put on his heart, Lord. And that you captivate us, Lord. We are your audience. Be in this place, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys may have a seat. Honey, I'll get that. Come on over. Uh, you can get your stand. I'm um, grateful to be joined by my wife this morning. We're in a series that we've called Mind Games. And uh, what we've been looking at are battles that happen in the quiet places of our mind that nobody can see. Uh, nobody hears about those things. And it starts with a thought, grows into an idea, and becomes something that we act upon. Now, sometimes that happens really quickly with that process. You have a thought. You have an idea and then you act upon it. But this kind of stuff that we're talking about almost all the time, it's on, um, almost all the time, it's a slower process. Uh, Sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years, you can get caught in a cycle where this battle goes on in your mind and nobody ever knows anything about it. It's why sometimes people leave their marriages before they ever should. That process was unfolding. It's why sometimes that people who are in abusive relationships don't leave those relationships when they should. There was a battle that was going on in their minds and they've been losing it. You can go broke with this process. You can believe terrible things about yourself with this. Sometimes the action that takes place is inaction. I am Tracy and I am Blair's wife. Um, It may seem a little odd that the way we would talk about acting is actually inaction, except that I've been there. I've had a hard time getting out of bed, I lost joy in everyday things, and I basically just survived. I've also been in situations that were unhealthy, and it would be wise if I chose a different path. But my disbelief that I was worth anything caused me not to do anything. Now this is hard for Blair to understand because he likes risk-taking, and he doesn't have the same struggle that I do, but not me. The reason I have concluded in the quiet of my mind that a demeaning situation is something I would rather deal with is because at least it's something that I know. Looking back on some of those seasons, I can see where I was caught up in a mind game. My thoughts were telling me, it's safer in the miserable. Who am I to think that I deserve more? I earned this difficult situation and I can deal with it. I was overwhelmed thinking about any other scenario that could exist and my action created no action at all. 
Uh, my personality does not make me immune to inaction. There are times where I can look back and that was the choice I made. I can think of family things that were going on and the situation just seemed difficult. And so the, the choice was, I'm just not gonna do anything. And the problem with inaction is that um, the situation doesn't stay unchanged. Wh whatever the circumstance you're dealing with, it keeps moving, it keeps kind of moving forward. And so your inaction doesn't freeze the world, it only freezes you. And when you're frozen, situations become unhealthier. You feel more justified not to act because it makes things worse. The circumstances twist even darker, and you can't move. You don't move, and things get worse. And on and on it spirals. Circumstances spiral, and spirals happen in the mind, and I have lived in both. In the deep, where no one can see, hear, or know my thoughts, they spin. It reinforces the story that I've told since I was a little girl. You're not loved, you're not good enough. And I begin to believe that there are fewer and fewer options of action. And the options that I actually feel exist are severe and harmful. So I wanna remind you that um, the first two tools that we talked about uh, at the beginning of the series work for every mind game. I think they're critical uh, for every kind of mind game that you might have. Uh, the first is an understanding that you're not alone. God is with you. He's walking alongside you. And he wants to, you to be in communities of other people so that you're not alone. And when you believe that you're alone, your voice is the only one you listen to and you think it's justified because nobody else can be trusted. And the second thing, the second tool we talked about is God has some stuff to say about who you are. And what he says about who you are is accurate and true. And the problem with the mind games that we have, these thoughts that develop and then grow into something terrible inside of us, they're based on inaccurate and, and untrue statements. And only God can talk to you in a way that gives you what's true and accurate. He can put people in your life who love you, who can say true and accurate things to you. And so, um, so that becomes uh, critical. And it doesn't matter what mind game you're wrestling with, those two components are always gonna be important. And depending on the type of mind game you wrestle with, you might need some other tools. This morning's mind game embodies inaction and spiraling thoughts, and I know that quite well. I hate it, but it still lingers. It distorts my thinking and causes me to choose inaction and creates discouraging thoughts. This morning, the mind game we're talking about is depression. You may have heard me refer to this as my winter. The darkness of this winter may cause inaction, and in its darkest form, it may lead to the painful response of suicide. That, sorry. If that you were betting sense. that she could go the whole morning without crying, <laughs> you lost. Uh, that makes my heart ache. Um, because I have lived there, and I just want to hide. But enough people suffer with depression or have somebody that close to them that does, that it's worth speaking to. Lots of people aren't comfortable talking about it. It's easier to ignore or, like me, hide and keep it quiet. But both of those responses are unhealthy and dangerous. I think one of the problems with depression is that um, because we all have different experiences with it, 
We have different understandings of it. So I have a completely different understanding of it, having lived with somebody who wrestles with that at times, than Tracy, who has dealt with it personally at times. And so we have these conflicting views that sometimes bump into each other. Two weeks ago, um, we're at a doctor's appointment. We had to go for our get fit, get healthy thing where we get incentive payoff if we're healthy. And so we're, we're up to saving money. So we both went to the doctor to do that sort of thing. And Tracy had finished with her appointment and uh, Doc's about to come into my room and he goes, hey, Tracy, do you wanna come in Blair's room for his appointment? And he looked at me and he goes, hey, Hippolaw uh, makes you decide if you wanna have her in here or not. Do you wanna have her in here? I'm like, like I can say that in front of her right now. Okay, bring her in, right? It's pretty tame, the whole thing's pretty tame. There's not much going on until he gets to a place where he says, is there anything else I need to know about? And I said, no, there's nothing else you need to know about. Everything's fine, right? And Tracy pipes up from the side seat. I think he's been depressed a little bit lately, <laughs> right? And I was like, oh, let's pull out the HIPAA laws right now and send her out of here, right? That's what I wanted. But he's like, well, has this been going on very long? And I was like, it hasn't been going on at all. I don't know what she's talking about. And she goes, now, I think he's been a little sad lately. And he goes, he goes, if it's not been going on a long time, let's not worry about it. And I was like, oh my word, this is crazy. But this is what happens is because you have different senses of it, it's hard to have a common language to talk about it. And this morning, I, I'm hoping that we can give you some understanding, some common definitions. We're gonna put a, a list up on the screen um, that helps you understand why it is so confusing because there's so many components to this um, that are at play, okay? But uh, hopefully as we talk about this, there'll be some commonness that will help you interact if you have that or if you're dealing with somebody who's going through it. Yeah, like Blair said, depression isn't just sadness. Um, you can look through that definition and see the descriptions. But I do want to put another slide up that might help those of you who have not experienced depression to get a better understanding of it. Because here's the truth. Depression isn't new, and it's found in the lives of those people in the scripture. David, Job, Judas, Peter, Ezekiel all had struggles. And in Psalm 42, they record the pain of a group living outside of Israel. And verse 5 describes depression. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And in verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying all day long, where is your God? Downcast in the soul, bones suffering agony. It's describing a pain that permeates your whole being. Why so disturbed? I've had that thought. Why am I so disturbed. What is wrong with me? And in this place of putting that weight on your own self, I hope you'll see why not being alone is critical with depression. Because it turns from self-doubt to God-doubt. Where is your God? Where is your help? Yeah, you, the one struggling. If God cared, you wouldn't feel this way. And that taunting inside rages. The truth is you're not alone, but you feel that way. And it's isolating. It's lonely and it's dark. It turns out the question, why are you so disturbed, is an excellent one. Uh, because uh, one of the hallmarks of uh, depression is this spiraling thought that um, kind of gets spun out of control. Um, in your head, 
And, and what happens is you can begin to lose sight of why you're even sad in the first place, where that started. And, and so when you lose sight of that, it's hard to have the right response because there are different reasons, different sources for why you might be um, depressed in the first place. So asking the question, why am I so disturbed, helps you get to the right source. Can I just tell you the Christian community has not been helpful on this front for many years. I think things are getting a lot better. Uh, but for a long period of time, the, uh, the only answer that we've had for people who suffer this is you have a spiritual problem. And, and the reality is, it could be a spiritual problem because that's one of the sources of depression. But it could also be a psychological problem. There could be something that's going on there. It could also be a medical problem. Or um, in Tracy's kind of worst depression, the one that um, lasted for a couple years, it was a combination of all of those. It was a mess. And she kind of had to sort through each one of those at a time and deal with each one on a different level and a different basis. Uh, but if you don't have the right source, you can't bring the right thing to it. I, if, you, if you were bleeding profusely, would you go seek medical help to get that fixed? My guess is that you would. I actually had a grandmother who didn't believe in that. She thought that the best way to deal with your sicknesses and illnesses was to think positively and you could, combine with the universe, bring some good about that. And my grandfather died from a treatable illness because of that kind of thinking. And yet, it kind of um, works its way into how we deal with depression. We find ways to say, oh, why am I so disturbed? And the only answer that we consider at times is it's spiritual, and we don't address other issues that should be looked at. So we're going to look at um, those three sources. It's embarrassing enough to admit you're feeling sad or depressed, and I actually wrestle talking about it. I've talked about it just a little bit in the past. Um, I shared at a women's retreat last year about it. Um, but what makes it harder is when you share that, and then someone comes up and says, you know, you just need to trust God, and it will all go away. Give him his place. You know, you just pray about that. Stop thinking about yourself. Depression is just a lack of God and unmet expectations. So what are your expectations? But from my teen years on, when February raged, no matter the meds I take, the counseling I receive, the prayers I pray, depression has not gone away. It's complex. It's kind of a messy thing. And in that complexity, a combination of things hit me. And one was a trust issue with God. I had to admit that I didn't trust him. I didn't think he would show up. I felt abandoned or he ran away from me. And when it comes to finding solutions, start there. Start working or thinking, how do I trust God? Do I trust him? This group that we talked about in Psalm 42 did the same things. And they speak the word. For your hope, or put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. Really? In the midst of not God not being found, put your hope in him? Praise him? But they landed on this key. They recognized that they had not been giving him praise or honor. They had forgotten that he alone is hope. And I had forgotten the same. And it began, began to be the cry of my heart to see him as hope and speak his praise when I didn't feel it. Sometimes, if I, when I get to know you, usually I'll end my sentences with, or my texting with peace and hope because that's what I'm longing for. 
I started thanking God for five things a day. And I began, someone gave me the book, um, 1,000 Reasons, or 1,000 Gifts, I'm sorry. And it was a beautiful picture of thanking God and living in harmony with him. But even though I did that, the depression did not go away. It still was inside of me. I need help. I still need patience. I still need time. But because my depression wasn't only spiritual in nature, but when I started there, then I could see a little bit better what other things were at play. Depression can be a spiritual problem, but it's so complex that sometimes you just can't stop there. So consider the spiritual, what's going on between you and God, trust factor, and then uh, consider that there might be another source too. And often where uh, depression can get a start is in difficult circumstances that people experience. Uh, a good example of that in the scriptures is a guy named Job. When we find Job um, and what's happened to him, he's lost his kids, he's lost um, all of his servants, and at that time there would have been um, a different kind of uh, attitude towards that. A lot of them would have been considered close friends of his. Lost all of his wealth, lost his health. He's sitting in a pile of ashes. And, uh, and, and this is what we find in the scriptures that's said about him. In chapter one of verse eight, God said... He's blameless and upright. And in verse 22 of chapter one, it says this. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job doesn't have a spiritual problem right here. What Job has is a loss of a, a lot of significant things in his life. And when you experience that, it's probably not good enough to express that I'm sad. I mean... He, he's downcast of soul. His bones are in agony. That kind of writing would have made sense. And his friends who rolled in could have been a support to him if they understood the source of the depression that he was feeling. But instead, they assumed that he had a spiritual problem and attacked him for that. And as soon as they did, things started to spiral in, in uh, Job's mind. Here's the reality. There are natural reasons, things that happen in our lives, loss of people that we love, loss of a job, conf conflicts with people that you care about that can start this sense of sadness, and it's normal. And sometimes in this idea of grief, we give people a, a small amount of time to deal with it and then expect them to move on. There's no time frame in the scriptures for how that's supposed to go. You walk alongside somebody and let that unfold as long as you understand, hey, I know where the source of this is. So I can be gentle, I can be caring, and I can be available for them. So look for the psychological kind of factors that come from um, finding difficult circumstances and then uh, get involved with somebody in that way. It's also become clear in studies that there are medical reasons for depression. I went to my doctor in my early 20s and told him what was going on. He was a, a great doctor, a Christian guy, was very well-meaning, and he basically told me that I had a spiritual problem and set me up with a Christian counselor. Three years later, I'm back in his office dealing with the same feelings and thoughts, and he starts talking about medical issues, and I was like, oh my, what has changed here? And he said that there were a lot more studies that were done, and it was clear now that the dark weather actually can bring on this um, depression, the seasonal affective disorder, and it, it affects people. 
And studies have confirmed that hormone imbalances, neurotransmitter imbalances, reactions to medications, responses to substance abuse, physical abuse, genetic factors can impact your body and result in depression. And if you identify with the things that we're talking about, take the steps to find a doctor and let him know. Have a medical conversation to solve a medical concern. Uh, we, we boiled it down to three to just to make it simple and easy. There are a lot of sources from which this starts at. Again, it's a thought that starts in your mind, and it grows into something bigger. But here, here's, the, uh, here's the thing about this. It seems to lead to the same place. doesn't matter where it starts. It seems to have this unfolding in you of uh, telling you that you're not worth anything, that there's no hope in anything. And you can even see that in the life of Job, a guy Who's, who's experienced some really difficult circumstances in life. He, he doesn't have a spiritual problem between him and God, and yet he gets to the place where he says this in Job chapter three, verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? This is the ultimate inaction that depression brings you to is you're convinced that the best thing that you can do is to no longer do anything ever. And these are, uh, these are um, difficult words for me to see because I've heard them come from my wife in different ways. I've heard her say, maybe it would be better if I just wasn't here. Maybe I should just go away. In her mind, the best thing I can do is to no longer act in any way in the world. And if it means I'm scrubbed off the face of the earth, that would be better for everybody, wouldn't it be? And I'm like, no. I mean, like, who's going to do the dishes? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Right? Like, hey, this is, no, what are you talking about? You have value. You have worth. And yet it seems it doesn't matter where this comes from, um, left alone in the quiet of your mind, it will start attacking your sense of whether I should be here on earth at all. Scary stuff. It's scary because it actually reflects real feelings and real thoughts in the minds of people who say them. It might start with the illness or a loss or personal problems or genetics or a medical condition or a trust issue with God. But when it's left alone in your head where no one can see it, it can grow into something worse. Now, I happen to experience depression most often because of a medical reason, but there have been times when that hasn't been the case. Anyway, either way, whatever happens, depression can still bring you to a dead stop. No action. But while you're not acting and while you're soaking up those thoughts, hopelessness can form. Most suicides we see in the scriptures are not from depression, although I think we could argue that Judas probably was very depressed after he realized what had happened. But depression and suicide have become connected. And we found a clip of Chester Bennington um, from Lincoln Park talking to a DJ about the battles in his mind. And we would like you to take a look at this. When I'm in my own head, it gets, this place right here, this, this, this skull between my ears, that is a bad neighborhood. And I am, I should not be in there alone. <laughs> I need, I can't be in there by myself. What are you talking about? It just, you just, you just, it's insane. It's crazy in here. This is a bad place for me to be by myself. And so when I'm in that, like, I get, I, my whole life gets thrown off. Like, if I'm in there, like, 
I don't say nice things to myself. Like, there's another Chester in there that's like, wants to take me down. I don't, I don't know if you uh, picked up that the DJ was kind of laughing about that. He was laughing about that because he has a different experience with it. And so it doesn't make sense to him uh, what Chester's talking about. But what Chester is saying is when I'm left alone in there and I haven't identified the source and I'm not tackling the source of what's going wrong inside my head, I am saying things to me that will take me down. Uh, his wife posted a video um, after he committed suicide that they had taken of him 36 hours before he committed suicide. And I want you to see the clip of this because um, what she put on it was I want you to understand what the face of depression and suicide looks like, and I think it would help us if we saw it too. So I want you to watch this next small clip. <laughs> okay, just a oh, double Three. dog screw. I right? either got rotten egg or something else. Three, Three two, two one, go. <laughs> They were eating those nasty jelly beans, right? They kind of dared each other to do it. And you can hear the kids laughing in the background, and they're all having fun with each other. And in his mind, stuff's not right, but you would never know it looking at that. And it's because we have this capacity to put a mask on. We're not sure what the source is. We just feel terrible. We feel the spiral. And we, we put on our best face to the world. And they don't see what's going in. I think one of the great things that happened for Job was um, he's sitting in a pile of ashes. It's pretty hard to hide why you're upset, Job. And, and friends showed up. So all the right things were happening. They, they went in the wrong direction. And because of that, I, I think the spiral started in his mind. But we have this capacity to hide so well and we never ultimately deal with the source of what's going on. And it has the ability to take us down. Um, because of that, I want, we want to suggest three things. That if you're dealing with depression, or if you are in the life of somebody who is, we want to give you some three things that you could consider doing um, that could be proactive in helping the situation. Here we go. One. Allow people to feel the pain in their souls. If they're not able to, they will bury it far away from you, and it will go to work in their lives. Let them talk. Let them process out loud. Let them be silent. Don't put an arbitrary timeline on when they have to get over that. Encourage them to seek counseling so they can process it in a healthy way. Job processed these thoughts, and at the end of the book, we find him saying something important. In Job 42, 5, he's talking to God, and he says this. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Did he physically see God? I don't think so. He's saying, what I used to hear that didn't touch me in the deepest places in my soul now does. Now I know that I can trust you. 
When you hear somebody's thoughts of depression and their feelings, listen, show empathy, be brave enough to tell them the truth gently, and allow them to process life. Two, like it or not, go see a medical professional. Go sit down and talk with somebody. Um, in the depression that Tracy had that was the worst, that lasted for two years, where we wondered every day when we came home if she was going to be there, I, literally, I had a 10-year-old who would watch, um, watch her during the day to try to make sure that she would be safe. It was, it was a terrible situation. Um, and during that time, she discovered a spiritual problem that she had to deal with with God. But here's the truth. She couldn't even get to that until she was on some medication that allowed her to be calm and have clarity of thought. And when she finally did, then she tore into the spiritual problem and it started going somewhere finally. But you've gotta sometimes suck it up and go, and people don't want to in our culture. If I take medication, it means I'm wrong, it means I'm broken, I'm whatever. Go find somebody and eliminate if it's genetics. Eliminate if there's something going on um, with you medically. Make sure that's not there because if it is, all of your effort will spin your wheels, and you might need to be dealing with a spiritual problem, and you may never get there without the help. So have the courage. Don't, don't play around with this. Um, the, the reason uh, we linked depression and suicide in our conversation this morning is they are linked. Uh, right now, suicide in our country is the 10th leading cause of death. 44,000 people a year in our country take their life. And the statistics are that 25 people have tried for every one that succeeds. And you know what they found in our country right now that's also skyrocketing? Depression and loneliness. And they, they're going hand in hand. So if we're talking about um, a way that you feel right now, take this seriously and go and talk to a medical professional. Find a way to take the edge off. Get your mind clear and calm so that you can deal with stuff that's there. Okay? Number three, don't discount the spiritual automatically. Even though depressions may start out as circumstances or medical reasons, they can still turn into a mistrust of God. There's an example of this in John 10.10. 10. Jesus is chatting with his followers, and he's teaching them about how the world works, and he uses the metaphor of a shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd protecting the sheep, the skittish, dependent, reliant sheep. And he says this in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Steal, kill, and destroy your life is the message of the enemy. And when God's enemies can take normal sadness and blow it up into how you feel about God, your mind then can be turned into condemnation or hate or voices that tell you that you're not worth it and God isn't trustworthy enough to bring hope. So some things that have helped me are honest conversations with God. I pray, I get away in nature, I journal, I take my medication, I chat with other women about it. And through these expressions, God met me, and he continues to meet me to erase the darkness with his light of gentle truth. And he expands my hope 
that he wants me to live life to the full. I have to go back 16 years ago um, to a letter. that I had received from a friend that I had let in and let known about depression. And after a couple years of friendship, she had written me and said this in her letter. It seems like you like living in the miserable, and I just can't help you. That still haunts me. I know it's not true. I don't like living there. But I thought, well, if it's a spiritual problem or it's just the fact that I like living in the miserable, why take my meds? So on and off, on and off I go of my meds. And sometimes I hide it from Blair, and then all of a sudden he knows about it and can say, are you taking your meds? Well, it's something spiritual. Or, you know, someone's praying for me, and it's going to get better, and it, it doesn't. Um, so two weeks ago I'm in the office with Dr. Barco and his um, and nurse practitioner talking about life and medications and his nurse practitioner is asking me about it and I had taken a test on genetics and it showed that I was in the yellow zone of medicine which means it may or may not work so she was suggesting I go into the green zone so I tried a new med or I'm on a new medication now for the last couple of weeks and one of the providers said to me well maybe if you get you know this really works or you can get off the other medication and. But he didn't know, as in my mind, I'm struggling with medication anyway, and I'm thinking, okay, that means I can just go off that medication. So I'll go on this one, and I'll go off of that one. And uh, that's why I ended up last night sitting on the couch, or yesterday afternoon sitting on the couch with Blair um, in that place again where I'm saying those things. I wish it wasn't true. Um, but it is I still need them, and uh, I don't want to live in the miserable. I do need the medication to help, but I need others, too, to speak into my life. So if you know somebody who has these walls up or has this depression, don't be afraid to love them for years and years and years and years and years and get behind the wall that they have. They need you to speak truth. You don't know what you can bring to them. We'd like you to listen to this song in a minute. Yeah, we, uh, we want to end this morning uh, with a song that basically, I would say, um, this could easily have been written from the heart of God to you. When you get into that dark place and you start, I knew she wasn't on her meds. She says stuff that she'll never say any other time, and I've heard it from other people in the same place who get into these dark places where they just think, maybe it would be better if I wasn't here. And you have that thought. Um, I, I want you to reflect on this song that I think uh, God would say to you about um, what he thinks about how valuable and important you are. And in the billions of people, in the millions, he still sees you and your value. So I want you to give this a listen.
You guys would join us by standing.
thoughts that are out of our control sometimes, things that we can't help because of a world that's broken. We are part of that broken world, Lord, but you're here to make us whole and complete. Lord, we thank you for the strength in times that we are weak. Lord, that you tell us that you'll stand, us, stand by us through our trials, God, that you provide ways out. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. discuss things about mental illness. Lord, I pray that that would be evident to us. We wouldn't write it off. That's a serious thing to consider. That if Satan tries to shame us in, in the ways that we think, Lord, that you would shut his mouth. Jesus, there's power in your name and we believe it. Where do we go if we're those that, that don't have thoughts of depression or suicide, Lord, well then, help us understand that we, we find those that are hurting, Lord. We come alongside of them, Lord. We're, we're you in the flesh, Lord. Jesus, give us your hands and your feet to move where you want us to move. To touch those that need to be touched, Father. Help us go out this week with eyes wide open of the world that we live in to search for the broken. We love you, Jesus. You owe everything to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.